0: That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know.
1: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulett, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he typically does on these days, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there! Yeah, so we were uh, we were going to share some twisted logic with you today.
0: Yes, we wanted to talk about dioxyribonucleic acid computers, Dana Dunah, is it's, it's <laughs> da na 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 da na na. Nah. Uh, <laughs> DNA computers, and what is a DNA computer? or What would it be? Because we're really in the very early stages of using DNA for uh, the reasons of a uh, you know, purposes of a computer. Uh, but what would a, a DNA computer be? Why would we even use DNA? And what the heck is this DNA stuff anyway?
2: Well, you know, I've got a USB port on the back of my head, so it, it <laughs> yeah, doesn't so, seem like that far of a stretch. Yeah,
0: he also woke up one day and he was in a giant battery, and he had to get out. And <laughs> turns out Chris is the one, and well, no, I'm definitely not. We got one. about this, the, you know, we got Agent Smith showing up every other day at the office, and we're like, he's not here today; he's teleworking, and oh, it's just irritating. But there's, anyway, there's a glitch in the matrix DNA, so. DNA is 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 important stuff. I mean, this is a molecule that contains information that you know. Collectively, this information makes makes organisms what they are. Yes, and and, uh, and so biologically, DNA is used to store information, and that is really the key there. You know, saying. Wait a minute, if DNA stores information for organisms, could we use DNA to store information for other purposes? But, uh, to, to really explain this, uh, DNA, it's this, it's, it, it's that double helix molecule you've probably seen. Uh, you know, illustrations of it. You may have built a model of it. If you are in school, you may be studying this so much that the terms I'm going to use, you're thinking, "Wow, he's really glossing over this." But it's because this is tech stuff, not stuff to blow your mind. So we're not going to go too deep into the cellular biology aspect of DNA.
2: Yes, and if you are looking for your mind being blown, I'm sorry, you've come to the wrong place. Right. Uh, now, DNA has a has a lot of instructions in it. Yes. Uh, as it turns out, it's a a very tiny molecule with uh with a very large capacity for for carrying information.
0: Yeah. If you were to actually stretch out a DNA molecule and lay it lengthwise, it would end up taking much more space than it typically does because it has this twisted, three dimensional uh, uh,
2: uh, structure. Hence and, my earlier dumb joke.
0: Right. So this twisted structure actually allows this this very dense uh, storage medium Mm -hmm. to exist in a relatively small volume of space. Yeah. Because you've twisted it and, you know, this whole thing about, uh, conserving surface area and all that great stuff that all my biologist friends go on and on and on about. And then I end up wandering away. Um, but (laughs) DNA has, uh, among many other, Attributes, there are pairs of bases Mm -hmm. that that pair up in DNA, and this is you know the the structure of those, the sequence of those, determines what information is stored in that strand of DNA. Yeah. Okay. So those four bases, you have uh, adenine, uh, cytosine, guanine, and thymine, Mm -hmm. and uh, usually we just call those A, C, G, and T. And, uh, the way that those are sequenced, like I said, within a strand of DNA determines the type of information that that DNA holds. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's, it's that that forms the basis of the idea of using a DNA computer. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, in our, of course, in our, our classic computer model, we've got computers thinking, quote-unquote thinking in binary, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Zeros and ones. And so uh, with using DNA, uh, the approach right now is to associate certain of those bases with zeros and the others with ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the idea being that way you could sequence a DNA down the length of uh, a strand of DNA with these zeros and ones. You encode a strand of DNA that way, and then you would decode it. You would read back those those base pairings, and that would determine whether each pair was a zero or a one, and then uh, you would decode that into binary language, and thus you would get back to whatever information you originally stored onto the DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, This is, it makes it sound pretty simple, but this is high tech science stuff right now. Now granted, it's high tech science stuff that we have made huge advances in over the last two decades, really. Yeah. Uh, so things that were seen as practically impossible two decades ago are things that we do almost, not quite routinely, but with a greater ease than we could have expected.
2: Yeah, but over the, uh, the course of, of, uh, the last few decades, um, it's the kind of thing that when people see the double helix, it's familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's high tech science, but it's in our public consciousness too. It's in our DNA.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: there you, know, you go. The fact so, that that, that's a, a, uh, uh, slang term, you know, for something when you say it's, it's basically, you're saying it's deeply ingrained in your personality or whatever you're saying that about, um, you know, it's, it's certainly something that, that we're all familiar with now, but only a few decades ago, you know, it was, uh, completely foreign to us.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, let's, we'll do a quick, quick rundown of the history of our knowledge about DNA. Cause clearly DNA has existed for millions of years, but we've only really been aware of it since about, well, we knew something about it. Back in 1868. Yes. When Friedrich Meischer, uh, who was a... Uh, thank you. was a, He was a biologist uh, from Switzerland. And he was looking at something pretty darn gross. He was looking at bandages that had pus on them. Yum. And he isolated DNA from the pus on the bandages. And he thought that perhaps the this stuff, these nucleic acids, which is DNA is a nucleic acid. Mm -hmm. He, He thought that perhaps this stuff might contain information in it that would determine why stuff is the way it is. So genetic information. He thought that that probably did contain that information, but there was no way for him to be able to confirm it. He could not point to anything and say, see, I'm right. So that had to wait for f- future scientists to, uh, to really dive into it. Not, not the pus, that'd be gross, but to really dive into the information and study it and, and figure out, uh, more details. So in 1943, uh, some scientists at Rockefeller University, including Oswald Avery, showed that DNA taken from a bacterium could make a non-infectious type of bacteria become infectious bacteria. So the thought was that there must be some information from this nucleic acid taken from one type of bacteria that could transfer properties to a different bacteria that otherwise would not have that infectious property. Hmm, but what does it mean? Yes, that's kind of what everyone was saying. They said, well, there's some sort of information-holding material here. We don't really understand the mechanism by which it stores information, nor how does it impart that information uh, or, or replicate it. Right. We didn't know that at the time. Uh, and then in 1952, Alfred Hershey and Martha Chase showed that To make new viruses, a bacteriophage virus injected DNA into the host cell, which was important because previously it was thought that perhaps it was through protein exchange. Mm -hmm. But instead of protein exchange, it was DNA exchange. So that showed, yes, there's something in this. This DNA is what is important. And then came along Watson and Crick. Yes. James D. Watson and Francis Crick.
2: Yeah, they. Uh, it, it was clear that um, uh, that people were already onto something. Hershey and Chase had something there. Yeah, and it was only a year later when uh, Watson and Crick, uh, you know, made their announcement that yeah. they had discovered the structure of DNA.
0: Right, and so this is when we started to really learn wh- how DNA, you know, forms and what shape it takes, and why that's important. And um so once all of that was taken uh, w- once we learned all that we began to see that these base pairings I was talking about we learned that they pair in very specific ways. You know I, I mentioned there are the four different bases. There's uh the, the ACGT. Well, half of those, A and G are called purines. Mm-hmm. Uh C and T are uh pyrimidines.
2: I'm glad you took that part.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, way back when, I was actually really good at biology, but man, that was a few decades ago. So anyway, uh, uh, purines and pyrim- uh, pyrim- pyrimidines, look, I can't even do it now. Purines and pyrimidines Still glad you took that part. bond together, <laughs> yes. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, you don't get two purines bonding together and you don't get two pyrimidines bom- bonding together. And to be even more specific... Uh, A and T will bond together and C and G will bond together. Mm -hmm. All right. So that, that means that, you know, you can't, you're not going to get a strand of DNA where A and C or A and G are paired together. It does not happen. Right. They, they, structurally that doesn't happen. So, uh, that also dictates the, the rationale behind using, uh these pairings as zeros and ones because mm-hmm. you you can either have uh you can either have the AT pairing or the CG pairing right right so that that lets you say okay well that's binary it's either, you 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 just designate that one means ze- one pairing means zero the other pairing means one mm-hmm. um if it weren't that case if we could have multiple pairing multiple uh uh like like if a could pair with g instead of just a and t then you would say all right well now we've got a system that goes beyond binary which in theory if you completely change the way computers work would mean that you could dramatically increase parallel processing yeah because you could designate things it would almost be like uh, the qubits of a quantum computer where in th- you know the 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 Basic explanation is a qubit represents both a zero and a one and all values in between in superposition of one another. Right, and that if you have enough qubits, you can perform a massive parallel processing problem uh, all at the same time because those that that one group of qubits is behaving as if it's a uh, you know a, a huge number of Traditional bits. Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's important to remember too that no matter how many bases DNA has, they all belong to us. Oh,
0: I knew it. I knew it. I was <laughs> I was like, oh I was gonna do an all your base are belong to us too. Someone set us up the bomb.
2: So Well, it right. could be, actually. If you if you were trying to if, if those pairs become corrupted, they will not work. Yeah and uh and a cell can die. Actually, we're getting a lot of this information too from our our excellent article on howstuffworks.com about how DNA works. It gets into a whole lot more detail than
0: Right. This. Yeah, if you want to learn more about and and it's very accessible. It's a very accessible article. Yeah, so if it you're really
2: curious is. about, you know, you've always heard
0: about DNA and you've heard about DNA testing and you know about chromosomes and genes, but you're not really you know, you, it, it, beyond that you're kind of confused, I highly recommend you read how DNA works at howstuffworks.com. We also have an article on how DNA computers work, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting because it's talking about a an earlier era of DNA computers. But recent developments have really brought, in, brought to light some interesting uh, new technologies and new use cases for DNA, and uh, we'll get into those in a second.
2: Yeah, it's, it's funny that you say that because I'm sure that people – this is futuristic enough where people are saying – what are you talking about new developments? We haven't heard of a DNA computer before. But uh yeah. Yeah, that's that's not really surprising. This is the kind of thing like like quantum computing where they've been working on it for some time but it's not at a point where they can really you know put something on a shelf and go look at this. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the, where, the, the, where people all, will really take notice of it in general.
0: This is all stuff that's taking place in universities and research yeah. facilities and it's, you know, most of these machines that are being made now or or these implementations of using DNA for information, uh, digital information, are really in the prototype stage. But we're getting the, – the technology that allows us to create these machines is becoming more and more sophisticated and less expensive, which of course is key That's huge. T- to any new t- – and Gordon Moore yeah. explained that back mm-hmm. in, in – when he did his, his paper about cramming more components onto an integrated circuit, mm-hmm. his point was not just that technology was advancing to a point where we could shrink stuff down and fit twice as many components onto uh, a square inch of silicon as we could a year ago. Right. It was also that the manufacturing process was becoming efficient enough and cheap enough where that made sense. Yeah. So same sort of thing here. Well, alright. So we've, we've determined that DNA contains information. It, it, because of its very structure, it can contain a lot of information in a small volume. Uh, and then it wasn't until about 1994. Now remember, it was the, it was the fifties, the early fifties when we started to really understand what DNA was and how, how it, uh, formed and, and how, and its structure and everything like that. Yes. In 94, a man named Leonard Adelman came up with this idea. He sort of, uh, introduced the idea of using DNA to solve Math problems, mm-hmm. and it was essentially this idea of coding DNA as uh, if it were a strip of binary code, and and so he took this idea and he sort of ran with it. He began to formulate an idea about how to how to create an experiment that could show that this would work. And it's funny because. It's talking about a DNA computer, but if you read about the experiment, it sounds more like someone in a chemistry lab mixing various chemical compositions together and then coming up with a, uh, a solution at the end of it. And that's, it turns out that this is a computational solution, not just a chemical solution.
2: I, I see what you did there. Yeah. Little wordplay there.
0: Yeah. It's a little, little incredible. So he, yeah, he, um, <laughs> Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
1: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy
0: nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I can't fly without my portable chargers and noise-canceling headphones keeping me immersed, and I'd be lost without my smartphone. In a new place, it's my connection to the familiar. I rely on it to get directions around town. I use my smartphone to look up things to do or, most importantly, where to eat. In countries where I don't speak the language, my phone becomes a universal translator. And heck, it can double as a digital camera, giving me the opportunity to snap unforgettable pictures of the sights that inspire me and fill me with joy. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. A spirit of adventure lives inside of us. Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to transform your spirit of adventure into actual rubber-meets-the-road into the wild, true-blue-real-life adventure. You just need a Nissan and a plan. Or better yet, just a Nissan. You can hop into a Nissan Rogue and discover what comes next. Don't worry, the Nissan Rogue has your back. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Just climb in and go. No need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the new 2024 Nissan Rogue. No matter where you roam, you'll stay connected to home. Life is one huge adventure, and every day is a little one. No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. So wait, let me read, I'll, I'll read the steps from our article on DNA computers because I want to explain how this early, early, early implementation of a DNA computer how it how it played out, and it's kind of amazing. Okay. All right. <clears throat> here are the steps. Number one, strands of DNA represent the seven cities. Now, when it says seven cities in here, what he was doing was he was trying to solve something called the traveling salesman problem.
2: Yeah. Also, the uh, the directed Hamilton path problem. Yeah. The idea being that you're supposed to find the shortest route between a group of cities, and it, and it could be uh, any number really of cities, but you have to only go through each city. One time, um, and it becomes more complex this is This is why this is such a fascinating problem, uh, as Jonathan pointed out to me right before, he reminded me that uh, this is something that quantum computing is fascinated with because this is such a uh i don't know would you call it thorny a thorny problem, so it was that problem that they were were that he wanted to work on, and he chose i believe seven cities he, yes. he set that as his benchmark right he wanted and, to do
0: and see this is this is an interesting problem for uh in computers because think about it you you've got seven cities you can only travel through each city once you have to find the most efficient pathway to go. Well, the way a computer would do this, generally speaking, is to start going through every single possible um, uh, permutation of that trip, going from city to city yeah. and determining which of those is the most efficient by the end of it by comparing them all, which can take ages. And yeah. as, as of course, as you add more cities, as you add complexity to the problem, it creates an
2: exponentially more difficult problem for the computer to solve. You know, I don't think it's that unlike uh, trying to crack a password. Yeah. In the, in the, you know, other references we've made to these. Again,
0: parallel processing, that's another reason why quantum computers are very scary for anyone who's in cryptography Mm -hmm. who wants to create good encryption because they're talking about using parallel processing to attack, you know, do a brute force attack on a password. You can really reduce the amount of time it would take you to crack a password, like a password that would Probably take you thousands of years in classic computer time, might only take an hour in using a
2: quantum computer because it's using that parallel approach. So just remember, quantum computing is the cure for the common code. Oh Man, <laughs> what is it with
0: you today? I don't know. Chris is in a mood, folks. <laughs> I anyway. All right. So <laughs> getting, getting back to getting back to <clears throat> this thing. So yes. This, this, this set of steps. All right. So. Edelman creates strands of DNA that represent the seven cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's these uh, AT and CG pairings. Mm -hmm. And then um, these various sequences represent each city and possible flight path. He then took the molecules that – these strands of DNA and mixed them in a test tube and some of the strands of DNA stuck together and a chain of those strands represented a potential answer mm-hmm. to that question. Which of these, you know, which route is the most efficient? Within a few seconds, all of the possible combinations of DNA strands were created in the test tube. And then Edelman eliminated the wrong molecules through chemical reactions, which left behind only the flight paths that connect all seven cities. So here he was doing chemistry and looking at molecules by you know uh, and it was and it was uh, biological chemistry because yes. he was using organic dna yes um and and trying to come up with the answer that way which is pretty interesting to me i mean that looks that sounds so different from the way we think of computing today where you're using microprocessors and you know a user interface looking at a screen this guy's using test tubes and molecules um and he was actually thinking at the time that this would be, DNA computing is going to be the future because it packs so much information in such a small form factor and it's plentiful. Yes. Because there's a lot of life out there and organic life, uh, relies on DNA heavily. There's some that rely on RNA, but mm-hmm. we're not going to go into that. But anyway, a, a great, amount of organic life out there has lots and lots of DNA. so the we've got plenty of of materials to work from. Uh, what's interesting is that since that time where his first experiments were showing the viability of a DNA computer, yeah, our ability to sequence synthetic DNA has improved to the point where uh, organic DNA is not really what we care about anymore. We can synthesize DNA in the lab. And just make it ourselves so we don't have to, um, harvest it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Chris was saying in the pre-show, you know, it would be a totally different world if you realized that your computer was running out of memory. So you chucked another hamster into your machine so that you could finish whatever it was you were doing. That was a particularly gory idea. Well, we didn't, you know, but yeah, I-, I left out the part about the grinding noises <laughs> oh, and, you know, thanks. and
2: fur flying out the back. You, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, and I that, thought that was my it. contribution. I was, I was grossed out. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, uh, University of Rochester, there were uh, some researchers that found ways to use DNA to create logic gates. Yes. Um, again, in the 1990s, 1997, it looks like. Um, so, uh, and that we've touched on on several occasions, but that, those logic gates are basically key to classic computing.
0: Yeah, this is what. Uh, this This is what allows a computer to dictate how information moves through it so that it has any meaning.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know the logic gates essentially uh, dictate whether the zero or one that goes into the gate comes out a zero or one on the other side, or some usually it 's a pair mm-hmm. if it 's a zero and a one on the other side of the gate is that going to be a one or a zero, and it all depends on the type of gate it is. Um, and of course, you, you can link a bunch of gates together to create all sorts of different outcomes depending upon what the input is. This is all very important from classical computing. So mm-hmm. getting to that step of being able to build logic gates out of DNA, it was pivotal if you want to be able to eventually build a true DNA computer.
2: Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, this is, you know, you compare the components of a DNA computer to those of a, an inorganic computer. Um, And we have, as uh, Jonathan pointed out and and Gordon Moore's uh, famous prediction that, that transistors would double in number per square inch of silicon back in the original prediction, um, you know, every, you know, over a certain period of time, which again has changed, you know, year, year and a half, two years. The thing is, um, we're talking about a flat piece of silicon and we've also talked about how hard drives the classical hard drive um, you know has so much information on it it's in a it's in a flat plane uh, we've talked about um, uh, electronic memory and how you know this information is is getting stored but we've basically been talking two-dimensional yeah and and uh, a long time ago we talked about processors uh, and how at some point due to the limitations of Physics, Like at at some point, electrons will begin to tunnel through layers of the material used to create transistors, basically making them ineffective. So at some point, theoretically, a traditional transistor chip is going to be so full that you cannot fill it anymore without having serious electrical problems. So they were talking about going into 3D processors. Well, DNA kind of goes around that problem or is a natural, if you will, solution. Hey, for once, that wasn't a pun intended Um because DNA is volumetric. It isn't yes. – it can fit – because of its its natural characteristics, it doesn't have to be in a two-dimensional uh flat shape. You don't have to stretch out the helix and stick it on a piece of
0: whatever. silicon yeah. or
2: whatever to make it work. Um And that gives – uh, that gives computing so much more advantage to move to a dna based existence
0: right yeah the the challenge she is said building eloquently <laughs> the challenge is building the equipment that allows you to sequence and right. uh, decode that information because Uh, that's where that's where the bottleneck is right now. Is that the? It's not simple. Yeah, we have to get there. Yeah, but once we get to a point where we're able to construct the DNA and lay it out in such a way where we're able to pack in all that information, and then we have the companion devices that can decode that and make it meaningful to a computer again, then you're talking about some huge leaps in storage capacity. Yeah. One gram of DNA can store up to four hundred and fifty five billion gigabytes of data. Mm-hmm. Which is about a hundred billion DVDs worth of information.
2: Yep, yep. As a matter of fact, uh this is the article that sort of uh turned me on to this idea it was uh something that my friends uh Kim and Tim pointed out to me in the uh in the Guardian. Uh, which really wasn't that long ago, August two thousand twelve yeah they started talking about uh, how books had been encoded in DNA um, and uh, that that got me to uh, to thinking and to suggesting this to Jonathan as a, a potential topic because it's it's fascinating that DNA, something so small, can hold that much information
0: yeah, and it's funny because the story goes uh, it talks about how uh, professor George church. Led this project, and uh, he belongs to um, he. Well, he he teaches. He teaches at Harvard,
2: but not just Harvard. It's Harvard Medical School. This is this is one of those weird things uh, that this this overlaps science, computer science, and uh, and medicine. Yeah, and medicine. Yeah, so you've got. I'm sorry, physical science and medical science. Let's say that. Right. That no no (laughs) that's that's
0: fine. That's computer science and and medical science. It's it's uh, multidisciplinary, obviously, just like nanobiology or nanotechnology is a multidisciplinary approach. So is this DNA computer uh, or DNA storage idea. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. BP added
1: more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or.
0: No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. So what, uh, what Professor Church did was they, they decided to take a book that uh, was about 5.27 megabits of digital space once you converted it into digital information and to uh, encode that as DNA. Mm -hmm. And um, they didn't do it just once. No. They decided to duplicate it a few times, Mm -hmm. 70 billion times, 70 billion copies of this book. Which, uh, according to an article in Extreme Tech, prompted them to joke that it made it the best selling book of all time. Yes. And that it was the 70 billion copies totaled about 44 petabytes of data.
2: Um, so. That is slightly larger than the uh, NAS I have attached at my network at home.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 44 petabytes. That's an incredible amount of information.
2: It's also quite a bit smaller. <laughs> than yeah. My NAS.
0: Yeah. So, so when you think about it, the, the, the promise of DNA is that with a relatively small amount of DNA, you could store the sum total of all human knowledge in a very tiny compartment. Yeah. Relatively speaking, a tiny compartment. And, uh, if you're able to use that same sort of, uh, uh, of capacity in a processing way, as opposed to just storage. Storage is great. I mean, that's fantastic. The, 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 per, the, uh, this project was really showing how using DNA is great for archival purposes. Yeah, if you want to store information for longevity's sake. And another point about that is <laughs> that
2: <laughs> this is—I love this.
0: Yeah, is that here's here's an issue that we have with storing information. The way we access information changes over time. Mm-hmm. And some of the, uh, there, there are multiple problems here. Sometimes the way we store information, uh, we store it on a medium that can decompose, which means that as time passes, the, uh, the likelihood that that data is intact decreases. So let's say like a book. Right. Okay. Books are susceptible to lots of different environmental factors that can make them Impossible to read, yes. right? So as time goes by, a book's ability to preserve that information decreases,
2: particularly depending upon its environment. Yeah, and and one of the things that's funny to me about this is, and I'll, I'll keep this short, but it's, it's funny to me that in a way, uh, the increase in technology um, has only uh, increased the rate of data rot, as yeah. some people call it. Because you think about something like the Rosetta Stone, And how long ago that was chiseled. But it's still there because, hey, you know, it's stone. If Now, if you left it out in the elements, eventually the the writing on it will wear away due to the effects of erosion. But um, that's longer lived than, say, paper, which could be eaten by weevils or uh, could be affected by mold or mildew or or even water or fire. Um, You know, there, there are many things. Acid in the paper Yep. um but but that would be longer lived than say um a magnetic storage medium which might may only live a few decades
0: yeah because uh, you've got with magnetic storage eventually that magnetic property starts to kind of well
2: and i have data gets corrupted yeah and i've had cd's and dvd's that i've burned and a few years ago that are starting to show signs of deterioration and i'm thinking all this futuristic stuff it's kind of funny the stuff that's chiseled in stone is still there
0: well and on top of all that besides the fact that it's you've kind of got ironic. these med- these media that will that can degrade over time yeah. um magnetic definitely is more susceptible i would say than optical storage but it, but both can can degrade yeah. and yeah. both are susceptible to damage i mean just about everything is sure. but but uh the other problem is that we move away from those older forms of media, and eventually we get to a point where nothing we have can read what we used to use. Or if you do have something that can read it, it's a legacy system.
2: Yeah. So like so the you old, end up keeping old computers around simply to read those documents.
0: Right. Like, the, like anything that's on an old
2: five-and-a-quarter-inch
0: diskette from the early days of the personal computer. You know And I I, still have some I, I would wager that most people do not have easy access to such a disk drive. Um you know, especially if you're just kind of an average user and you've gone out and you're like, Oh, I want a new laptop, you go again. If you buy a new laptop today, you might not even have an optical drive. Which means that there you could come across records of information that you have no way of accessing because you do not have the tech capable of ex- accessing it right well dna is a basic building block of organic life yes. and so the idea is that because it's something so basic we will always have the ability <clears throat> assuming that you know we don't have some sort of post apocalyptic event well an apocalyptic event that then leads to post apocalyptic events um then we should be able to have equipment that can read this
2: same information. Hey, do you have the instructions on how to read DNA? Yeah, I saved it on that magnetic uh oh.
0: wah, wah. <laughs> Now here in Atlanta we're used to post apocalyptic events because we've got zombies. Yes. As you may have seen if you've watched the documentary The Walking Dead.
2: As seen on T V.
0: So um yeah the the idea was that this will DNA does not degrade over time.
2: Well It takes a much longer time than something like a paper book.
0: Right. So since you're not worried about degrading – I mean when I say it doesn't degrade over time, we're talking generations here.
2: Hundreds of thousands of years, some people say. So yes. I wouldn't know. I haven't been around that long.
0: Eventually it will degrade, but for the foreseeable future, it won't. Uh, it takes up far less space we don't have to worry so much about uh, not being able to access the information anymore because again this is a basic building block we will presumably be st- still be interested in DNA in the future uh, in fact it become increasingly interested as we learn more about how to uh, to tweet DNA to do things like fight off illnesses and and other uh, scientific applications of that knowledge so, uh that was kind of the the whole point was that it's great for archival and that reason it's going to be it's 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 a it's a more permanent solution in multiple ways and uh that's really where the focus is on the recent articles that we've been reading although there's still obviously quite a bit of development on the research and about building a true dna computer that would uh have an incredibly small form factor i mean you're talking yeah. about uh DNA being the size of a couple of atoms and this is some small stuff. I mean, we could theoretically have a DNA computer capable of performing huge calculations and storing an enormous amount of data in a tiny, tiny form factor. It would be amazing if we could look into the future, maybe I don't know, 20, 50 years, something like that, where perhaps we have reached the point where this technology is viable and and reproducible and economic, where we could see it in applications that actually the average consumer could access. It wouldn't just be the realm of the scientific community or the research community. It would also be within our grasp because then, can you imagine, you could have a smartphone that could literally contain all the data that we have Ever generated ever since the dawn of man
2: on your phone. I, I was waiting for you to go, all the data – no, that was it. Just all of all it. All the data. Um, well, all the data we have yeah, we access have. to. Um, they're, they're, it's astounding to think of something uh, so common that has been with us for so long being uh, an answer and a uh, fairly easy Answer to a lot of these problems. I mean, like I said, it's not easy to get there, but the idea, is like, really? Just DNA? As it turns out, you know, they've, they've been using synthetic DNA to, to run these experiments and there are some drawbacks. Yeah. One of which is it can't be rewritten.
0: That is true. So once you write that data, it's, that's another reason why people are talking about it for archival purposes. Once you write the data, that's it. Now, granted you're talking about a construct that's so small that you could keep doing that indefinitely and not have to worry about taking up too much space. Yeah. But that's which is not, the way they're thinking
2: of it right now.
0: Right. But but you know, you can't you can't always think that way because someday that will catch up to you. Now well, granted that might be when we're actually saying, hey, hey, we finally got a plan on how to get off this rock because the sun's gonna Swallow us up in another million years. Yep. <laughs> that, that would never happen, by the way. Don't, don't write into me and explain to me why that would be ridiculous. I understand. I was just using that as a, an example.
2: Well, and, and the other thing is, um, you know, and, and yes, I realize that this is, you know, that you could destroy DNA, but, um, thinking about that, it, the sensitive information can't be erased. Yeah. Then, you would need to keep up with your let's say you had a, a, a DNA drive like you have a flash drive that sure. you carry back and forth with you. Uh and it gets lost. And it had, I don't know, import sensitive documents related to national security or um you know the the secret um uh copy of your unpublished book and somebody else runs across it and makes billions of dollars off of it because they found it. Right. You you can't you can't uh, remotely wipe that information. I don't know how you would do that without and, and destroying and the without entire... physically destroying the the yeah. material. Yeah. So I it's that's sort of a uh a minor drawback, really, but it's something—it's it's something very different from the media that we typically talk about.
0: Yeah. So clearly, in that case, you would be talking about all right. Well, now we've got this incredible archival ability. Now we have to figure out a way of securing it. Yeah. Oh well, don't save that. Oh. <laughs> well, and this brings me to my brilliant science fiction idea.
2: Oh, okay. Which
0: I—I I said in the pre-show, I said if if someone steals this, I will find you.
2: See, that was my—that was my like l- shout out to your. My, my idea my sci-fi that you weren't idea. sharing.
0: No, no, I'm sharing it okay. because if someone right. out there makes this, I want to cut. So here's the sci-fi idea, guys. You have a character who is just an ordinary guy or girl, you know, someone who is going through life and they've got the same sort of challenges and problems and joys and despairs as all the rest of us. But then suddenly they notice that They're being watched and people are closing in on them and they don't know why because they're just a normal person and so they're trying to get away and it turns out they find out that they themselves are a synthetic life form. They were built... In a lab from the ground up and in fact their DNA contains this incredibly important information encoded into this person's very being is a secret message of such import that various forces are closing in on them determined to get hold of this person lop off a finger and figure out what the heck is going on and so the character has to go through this incredible series of adventures in order to figure out it's kind of a a, a journey of self-discovery as well as protection and there's a whole Whole, like hero arc and uh the credits are great and bruce willis stars and i want to cut
2: i've got data yeah. under my skin <laughs> are in it and through it
0: so guys uh, yeah that was uh the, i'm sure someone's gonna write in and say yeah that was a great story when so and so wrote yeah, it i wouldn't be surprised 15 years ago i want to read it yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I have no illusions that someone has not already come up with that idea. But if they haven't, and then you guys think that's a great idea and you want to go out and make it, remember, I want a credit and some money. Or at least a sandwich. Come on.
2: <laughs> right. writer gotta eat. Alright. That's so, fascinating uh, stuff though. It's, it's the kind of thing that I would never have thought to do. So I mean, yeah. I'm I, I'm, Blown away by that.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a pretty fascinating subject, and like we said, there's the, we have some great articles on how stuff works. So you can go and check those out and, and read up on DNA and DNA computers. And you know, the, like I said, there are the articles on uh, the Guardian as well as other places that are talking about this storage medium. And I it, it blows my mind. I'm really really excited to hear more about this and to see it develop over time because in another decade or so. The technology may be there where this is not such a uh, a huge uh, task and we could see like the entire Library of Congress stored in a, uh, a computer that fits in a drop of water.
2: Yeah. It's
0: pretty amazing. It is. Uh, all right, guys. Well, if you have any other topics you would like us to cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, stuff that will truly – shake the tech world to its knees, or maybe just something that's kind of cool, let us know. (laughs) You can email us. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
0: Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Saturdays are for sunshine,
1: especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with five good things a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji
2: Young stars as
1: co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats.
2: I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough